Welcome to The Buzz, I'm Ariana Brocious. Most people in Southern Arizona are familiar with the Rosemont Mine proposal, which has been a contentious fight for years. This week, we hear from those on either side of the project now that the mining company has received the permits it needs to start construction. Gail Hartman of Tucson is president of Save the Scenic Santa Rita's, the group leading local opposition to the Rosemont Mine, which has filed several suits against it. While Tucsonans are focused on Rosemont, Patagonia Area Resource Alliance is opposing a different project on private land in the Patagonia Mountains. Board member Carolyn Schaefer has lived in the area for about 20 years. She says she and other community members were inspired by Save the Scenic Santa Rita's to form their own activist group. Both women oppose the projects largely for reasons of environmental impacts. Here's Gail Hartman. There are a lot of concerns, but number one, we always say, is water. Water is our most important natural resource. It certainly isn't copper. And we can all just look around us and see that you know, water is becoming more limited all the time. Uh, Tucson uh, Basin gets 20% of its drinking water from the eastern side of the Santa Rita's, the Cienega Basin, basically. That water, if this mine were to go through within some years, would one be limited, it would be less, and it would be polluted. There's no question that heavy metals, arsenic, lead, etc., will be coming out of the tailing piles. The other side of the mountain, the, uh, the Santa Cruz Valley, that's where uh, Hud Bay would like to pump their water. They've already got some wells, deep wells, and unfortunately, in Arizona, uh, mining companies can pump as much as they want and as deep as they want. So, Carolyn, I think many people probably don't know that there's a project happening in the Patagonia Mountains. Can you bring us up to speed with what's happening there? Yes. Back in 2006, at about the time Richard Wark was negotiating to sell the Rosemont Project, his companies filed their first claims in the Patagonia Mountains. And fast forward to today, they have now sold the project off to an Australian mining company. They currently have about 450 acres of private patented land and about 23,000 acres of unpatented claims on Forest Service public land. And like Gail said, the, the major concern is water and that when the state issues permits for these different projects, there is no thought to cumulative impact. So a million gallons will come out from the Patagonia Mountains, and I believe it's 10 million from Hud Bay's project, and that's per day. And this is in a time of recognized drought and climate crisis. We have to think differently. And where does that project actually stand? Are, have they begun operating? Do they have the necessary approvals? They have shoehorned an operation onto the 400 acres of private patented land because under the 1872 mining law, they are not required to rise to the level of many federal and state environmental laws that would be required if it was unpatented land on public lands. They are able to squish onto this 400 acres, drill down, and go under the 23,000 acres of Forest Service land. Unfortunately, under the 1872 mining law, the agencies are instructed that the highest and best use of public lands is mining. So with regard to water, quantity and quality are, are really the foremost concerns you have in terms of what's being used by the mines and what would be returned after they're done? In Rosemont's case, really, there are many issues. Air pollution is another concern, air quality. 
of course, we have the wildlife issues. We have subtropical animals, ocelots, jaguars that are moving up into the southern Arizona mountains. I think it would be nice if they could, could stay there. And to me, aesthetics is actually a really big concern. You know, people, I don't think, really understand what a mess this is going to make. It's going to be there forever. You know, the whole northeastern side of the mountain is going to be blasted away all the way up to the ridgeline. And so the communities, such as Patagonia, Sonoida, they're concerned because a lot of their livelihood is from tourists driving through there. They fear that they're not going to want to look at this or hear it, explosions going off every little bit. I mean, there's just a whole host of concerns. And as Carolyn says, it, it's, not, uh, it's, it's something we need to really be looking at in the long term. Is this, is this the way we in southern Arizona you know, want, to, want to live? Is this what, what the economy we want to have? So in, especially in Rosemont's case, there have been federal and state agencies that have reviewed the projects, given their approval. So knowing that there are some lawsuits out there, what do you think of the assessment thus far from those agencies? Well, it's kind of a complicated situation, and I think originally most of the agencies, or at least some, did a good job. The Environmental Protection Agency was here numerous times with various hydrologists. They expressed a lot of concerns. Uh, And, of course, as you probably know, initially the Army Corps of Engineers recommended denial of the project in 2016. Unfortunately, uh, things have changed since then, and they flipped. They, the Army Corps, and the EPA is now really being kind of muzzled. So currently, what has turned into something based on facts has, seems to be something based on politics. In the case of Rosemont, Save the Scenic Santa Rita's and several other groups have filed lawsuits. Mm-hmm. Give us an idea what the lawsuits are taking aim at specifically and what you hope the result will be. Uh, there's two sort of sets of lawsuits, I guess you would say. Um, the first is against the Forest Service and the Fish and Wildlife Service. And in the case of the Fish and Wildlife Service, it's for not doing the right thing with the Endangered Species Act. And the other case is really for allowing the ROD, which is called the Record of Decision, to go through. And we think it went through without the, the right information. The second lawsuit is perhaps more interesting to the public. That's against the Army Corps of Engineers, and that is for their granting of, of the 404 permit, as it's called, the Clean Water Act permit. Right now, however, as you probably know, Rosemont has their their permits, and they can go ahead. And so we are all together filing, uh, requesting a preliminary injunction from a federal court here in Tucson. One other aspect of this is that the tribal concerns, Tohono Adam and Yaki and, and Hopi, it's very unusual, and my background is in archaeology, that there are prehistoric Hohokam villages up in this oak woodland. That's the only one of its kind. They're usually along the Santa Cruz River, along the, the waterways. And it's a big village. It has a ball court, which means it was of regional importance. And these would be excavated. I mean, they wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be done without some concern. And there certainly would be items would end up in museums and there would be reports on shelves. But the sites would be gone. And from the tribal concern, this is a real destruction of their cultural heritage. When I was in D.C., I was traveling to be with the legislatures, and one of the people in our group was the chairman of the Taona Odom tribe. And one of their concerns also was that the government of the United States is required to consult with the tribes, but it was pro forma. So while there was a consultation, it wasn't really an effective consultation. So, Carolyn, in Rosemont's case, that's on federal land. There are those types of processes and overview oversight. 
that come to bear on those kinds of projects. On private land, as you noted, it's different. So what is the Patagonia Area Resource Alliance doing? What actions can you take, given that the project is mostly right now on on private land? What we can and are doing is working with the state agency and the federal agency, the Forest Service, to try to get information. The state agencies, unfortunately, uh, drag their feet And uh, yes, we can give you that document, but you have to send a Freedom of Information Act. Nothing is easy in this process. But these agencies who are tasked with protecting our environment are being underfunded and short-staffed. You said that you were just in Washington, D.C. What was that regarding? Was it this specifically? It was the 1872 mining law reform. Uh, there's both a House version introduced by Congressman Raul Grijalva and a Senate version introduced by Senator Tom Udall. This law is almost 150 years old, has not been modified, and I think a strong impression for people between the difference of then and now, the Patagonia Mountains had a 100-year history of mining. During that entire 100 years, a total of 250,000 tons of ore was removed. 100 years, 250,000 tons. South 32 intends to remove that 100-year total every 25 days. 21st century industrialized mining is starkly different from what it was in 1872. With the 1872 mining law update, What are the aspects that you would really hope would change uh, for mining going forward? There are several major ones. One is to instruct the agency that there are other high and best uses of the land and stop this dictation of you have to turn it over to a mining company. It's also major for communities to be able to have a voice. This is being rammed down our throat right now because it's on private patented land and we have no voice in protecting what is a very unique biodiverse area. And this is important to link our region together because the Patagonia Mountains and the Rosemont Project, we are all part of an area that has been identified as one of the top five in the world in need of protection for species survival. And they really like to make it sound as if these mines are going to transform the economies of our southern Arizona counties. And it's just absolute nonsense. Pima County released a, a memo just a week or so ago that in uh, the last few years, they ha- there have been 15,000-plus new jobs in Pima County. Uh, HUD Bay, of course, is talking about 500 The mining community, the mining companies will say that the advances in technology are actually then able to afford improvements in the way that they do their mining and that that might lead to more environmentally sensitive processes like dry stack tailings and those kinds of things. So what's the response you have to to that? That's really nonsense, too. As Carolyn pointed out, the mining law was written when guys were out using picks and shovels. This mining is nothing like that. We all know what Morency looks like. It's huge machines and huge amounts of blasting explosives. It's going to destroy that region, and it does it forever. You know, it doesn't come back. We We can't fix it. What about the need for copper? All of us wanting iPhones, iTablets, and there just being a growing need that Arizona can help satisfy. Again, we are in a transition here to a world we can't even imagine right now. There is no doubt that we are in a climate crisis and we cannot continue living the same way we have in the past. It's the time to put on our adult clothes 
and think about long-term future and not short-term profits. In Patagonia, is the opinion fairly unified around uh, opposition to this mine, or are there mixed opinions? There are mixed opinions, and um, some of it gets ugly. But I think the best marker is our recent election for mayor, and one candidate was pro-mining, let's make it happen, and the other candidate was we need to be asking about are we protecting our water here in our community, and the let's protect our water candidate won two to one. Thank you both very much. Thank you. You're welcome. That was Carolyn Schaefer of the Patagonia Area Resource Alliance and Gail Hartman of Save the Scenic Santa Rita's, local groups that oppose mining projects in southern Arizona. Andre Lozon is vice president of operations for the Arizona Business Unit of Rosemont Copper. Speaking to us from a cabin in Canada, he says things are moving forward now that the company has secured its final permits. The real meat of the construction will start in July. We're starting with some some early archaeological work in June, and so we expect from that July time frame about 32 months when the first uh, line of the mill will be up and producing, and the second line should be up and running around 36 months from that point in time. And I know you've begun to post jobs, so you're beginning to do some recruitment of personnel already? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we started uh, posting jobs for the senior management positions in preparation for them to start building their teams as well as a number of project positions. We expect by by likely around December-ish, we should have close to over 2,000 to 2,500 employees uh, working in various capacities, either directly for us or for the engineering firms that are supporting us or construction companies. So no one disputes that copper is a product that's widely used in the states and in the world at large and that Arizona has a lot of resources. But as you know, a lot of the concern around the mine has focused on the environmental aspects, water quality, water quantity, those types of things. The Rosemont site is close to Saguaro National Park and Chiricahua National Monument. Those sites have protected air quality, dark skies, and and quiet So how will this project not impact the qualities that those places were set aside to protect? The whole process of this is a a consultative process where a number of individuals submit public comments. And in in this case here, there there were over 43,000 public comments that were taken into consideration. Some of those are the dark skies that that you mentioned. Some of them are are impact to tourism or traffic or on the road and, and of course, water in, in the area. And so all of those comments then are are taken into the consideration of the design of the mine in terms of how can it operate, how will it be built in a way that either it can completely avoid those impacts or come up with the the least possible impact and then developing mitigation plans where there are impacts. So you mentioned water, and that's obviously been another big concern. And part of Hud Bay's plans involve lowering the aquifer to do this, the open pit mine construction. So can you give us an overview of how you all plan to protect the water resources while doing that level of of change to the water table? The mine site is above the Tucson Active Management Aquifer. It's at at a higher elevation, and so all of the water generally runs down to the the Tucson area. 
within within the the mine the mine area, the water that we plan on using it's, it's around six thousand acre feet per year. It's a little bit less. I think it's about fifty seven hundred is what the the plant's planning to use. So we'll be pumping water from the Green Valley area that will be replenished. So we're building a pipeline currently right now, about a thirty million dollar pipeline, and that water will then be uh, from from Green Valley be pumped to the mine. Around the mine area itself, so there will be some pumping in, in the near vicinity of, of the operation. We've committed to mitigation around adding some additional waters, buying some water from some a local golf course and, and a ranch up in the Snowy Creek area and putting those waters back into the watershed. The, the net impact of those waters from the golf course and Snowy Creek, every 90 years or 75 to 90 years, it will replace the water used from the mine in perpetuity. That is definitely changing, though, the way that the streams function now and the groundwater table functions now. And so what happens to the water in the groundwater table during the mine's operation or after? So within the vicinity of the mine, there's locally, as we we pump down the the mine area, there's an immediate effect within the 5 to 10 miles. And beyond the 5 to 10 miles, there's, uh, you know, over the life of several hundred years, they're, they're seeing fluctuations that they're estimating within anywhere from one to five feet of on the ac- height of the aquifer. Now, at that location, that's still above the local Tucson management area, which is the main aquifer for the Tucson region. We've been talking mostly about water quantity. There are concerns as well about water quality. And the Environmental Protection Agency had some statements released stating that mining activities from this project would degrade two area streams. So how do you respond to those concerns about the, the contamination that could result um, from the mining activities? This project has been studied for pretty much almost 12 years, and so it's gone through some very rigorous permitting of, of note about three different types of permits. A stormwater permit, an aquifer protection permit, and a, and a 401 state water quality certification. The first two, the stormwater permit, it's a certification that that says that surface water will not be degraded by the activity at the site. The second one, the aquifer protection permit, it requires the groundwater is not to be degraded at compliance water monitoring wells, and I believe there's about 20 of them around the perimeter of the site plan to be put in. And then the 401 state water quality certification that protects the water for no degradation downstream of any of the effects. So it's a zero discharge site, so meaning the water on site will be recycled. So there's no no toxic pollutants uh, on, on the site. So it's only stormwater that will be leaving the, the, the area. So the Rosemont site has been described as a world-class copper reserve. And I think the, the projections from you all from HUD Bay are that the current operations would last about 20 years. Some have said that the resources on that site are so extensive that it's likely that you all would continue to pursue those other deposits after this initial 20-year period, which would extend then the the life and likely or possibly the footprint of the mine. Is that part of the plan? Is that what you're thinking? The current mine plan that we have is, is exactly what it is. It's our reserve stated at the 592 million tons. And, and that's what we deem to be economic. And that's what we have permitted. Our main focus has just been around trying to get this uh, property uh, up and running. Anything outside of this would require further permitting. 
Several groups have filed suit against HUD Bay over the project, um, and in, and recently an injunction to try to prevent construction from beginning until those earlier suits are um, addressed. How does that impact your plans moving forward? After this 12 years of permitting, it's gone through more studies than, I, than I've not seen in my career, in my over 25-year career, and we're, we're quite confident that uh, we'll be able to proceed and, and with the construction of this world-class mine. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That was Andre Lozon with Rosemont Copper. Brad Ross is a professor of practice in the Mining and Geological Engineering Department at the U of A. He says the demand for Arizona copper is high and growing. And it's, it's growing for a number of reasons. Our population continues to grow, but our society is also changing, right? We, we use more tools. We use more iPads. We, we go to solar power. We go to wind power, all those need copper. So we see a, a huge increase actually continuing to happen in copper. So where does the copper mined in Arizona go then? Is it used nationally within the country or is it sent you know, to China and other countries? Unfortunately, we only have three smelters left here in the United States. Two of them are here in Arizona. One of them is in Utah. And so they're basically completely used to capacity for U.S. consumption right now. But even with that, uh, we produce enough concentrate that we have to ship some of that concentrate to other countries. So Korea, China, the Philippines, Japan, some to Europe. So I know that there are some who oppose the Rosemont Project who have said the current copper mines in the state aren't operating at full capacity, so what's the need to build a new one? Part of that is an economic issue, and the price of copper goes up and down. And, and mines that have really low grades or are not very efficient, uh, they can't compete in that marketplace sometimes. And so, so in reality, copper mining in Arizona is really going at, at full steam right now. So what's your assessment as to um, the environmental record here in Arizona for mining projects? And then looking forward at a project like Rosemont, what kind of a position are we in to say that this is or isn't good for the environment? You have to look at this in a much larger context. People see mining, the historic mining in Arizona, and, and they have a viewpoint based upon that historic mining. But our society's changed a lot. And so if you take a look at the priorities in 1900 versus today, the priority was basically mine as quickly as you can because that's what society demanded. So in 1970s, we see a, a focus throughout the United States of, on the environment. Uh, we see new environmental laws around water, on, around air. And so mining's had to react to that. And so the mines today don't do the same things that they did in 1900, because they can't, for one. And it's just not part of what our social norms are now. We, we mine... Uh, using different equipment, much larger equipment. The mines themselves are larger, uh, which is actually good for the environment because if we had to produce all this copper that we, we produce today and, and have to have small mines, well, there would be six times as many mines. So we, we control things. We don't let water get off of the mine areas, for instance. They have to have uh, permits for both air and water. So it, it's a lot different today. Have you seen in your career those changes implemented in terms of mines that have begun and been operating in the last, or even mines that maybe predated that, if they're still operating, that have had to adjust? 
Sure. I've when I started, I actually started in the coal industry, and and a complete change of of the way that they did their business. It used to be that they would mine, they did no reclamation. And now, if you go back, a lot of times it's, it's actually really difficult to tell where the mining existed. The issue is that these mines are long life. A mine can be in operation for over 100 years. And so while it's active, you know, there's always going to be parts that look like it's not being reclaimed. Representative Raul Grijalva recently introduced a bill uh, to update the 1872 mining law. What's your thought on that? Is there a need to update those regulations that apply to the industry? That's always going to be a controversial topic. That you know, in reality, the 1872 mining law is probably the reason why we're sitting here today, right? If if you didn't have mining in Arizona and you didn't have the those laws, the West uh, wouldn't have been developed the way it is. So. You know, you have things such as the University of Arizona is a land-grant school based upon mining, mining and agriculture. Now, I think you always have to take a look at what the circumstances are, how things have changed, but that's going to be politicians and, and executives that do that and probably not a lowly mining faculty member in, at the end of the day. Do you have an opinion on whether there's some parts of it that are, I mean, for example, they don't pay royalties unlike oil and gas and those other extractive industries. Is that something that should be updated? You'd have to really take a look at the overall economic impact. In some cases, you know, there's a lot of these companies that that if you put in a significant royalty, that's probably what their profit is right now. In January, the U of A hosted a mining summit and focused it on Arizona. So what were the main takeaways from those conversations about where the future of mining in Arizona is headed? The future in Arizona for mining is what I would call very bright. And and not just mining, but it's mining technology. The fourth industrial revolution really changes technology faster than ever before. And it's integrated between all these different disciplines. And we here in Arizona are in a fantastic position to take advantage of that. We have some some fantastic mining companies. We also have this core of technology companies. Mining is considered not to be very technical and very innovative, but we've had autonomous equipment running for over 10 years. The two top autonomous companies are right here in Tucson, and it's Caterpillar and Komatsu. So we got to start talking a little bit differently from just mining and mining companies to technology. It changes how we solve problems. It changes how we become sustainable. It changes how we impact the earth as a whole. Thank you so much. You're welcome. That was U of A mining engineering professor Brad Ross. And that's the buzz for this week. Find all episodes online at azpm.org and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Buzz Arizona. This week's show was produced and edited by me, Ariana Brocious, with production help from Emma Gibson. Jim Blackwood is our production engineer, Andrea Kelly is the news director, and our music is by Enter the Haggis. Thanks for listening. Arizona Public Media's original programming is made possible in part by the Community Service Grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.